button again. Felt like we haven't done Ooh, the, the crowd yeah. in a while. Wow. Welcome wow. to Ooh. Ah, oh, the, 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 Carl <laughs> the Carl Landry Record Club podcast, a music podcast from the rights of Ricky Sanchez. It's me and me, Spike, and that Mootloo. Hello, sir. Hello, how goes it? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Just trying to learn about computers. And- <laughs> <laughs> Moot got my, my Luddite rap before the uh, the pod started as he had little technical issues. And I just, I, I railed a little on those who are unable to figure out how computers Spike set me straight. He set me straight. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we're in a music appreciation pod. Uh, thank you for listening. If you are new, just because you happen to like Rihanna or you happen to like Dashboard Confessional, you could go through and see that basically every pod, except for the last few weeks, actually, every pod, we do two albums. And the object of the pod is to listen to stuff we already love, listen to stuff we've never heard before and find a way to appreciate it. Just sort of like a music curation and recommendation, uh, podcast in the way that we used to do it before technology overtook our lives and fed us music with algorithms. And it has been a, a couple year a journey that I feel like has opened my eyes to a lot of music and moot yours as well, right? Absolutely. We're yeah. closing in on a hundred episodes and uh, yeah. I was thinking about it. Well, cause I will get into it more, but you know, a record like the Dashboard record, I, before, you know, before we started this spot, I, I would have been like, what is this? Like, right. I would have been skeptical and probably wouldn't have given a chance. Now, because you've picked so many of those records and we've had some listener picks that are sort of in that emo direction. I guess Dashboard's in that direction, right? Mm-hmm. You can say. Yeah. Uh, like, I recognize that style and I, I, I wouldn't say it's my favorite genre, but I've developed a certain affinity for it and appreciation for it. And it's something that I probably would have been dismissive towards before. So it's like even it's like the journey along with the listeners. And I think our listeners are great. We they bring so many great new discoveries to us. Uh, But it's also like our kind of process of trying to expand and get beyond certain uh, limitations and what we appreciated before. I always said I do enjoy the fact that so many of our listeners have come and, and love hearing the records that they love talk about. But but love hearing about the records that they that they don't, you know? Right. And it, it sort of reminds me a little bit like our experience. I always say about the right Stricky Sanchez, my other podcast, my basketball podcast, it's not really about the Sixers. It is about how how Mike and I experienced the Sixers. So it's right. sort of about both. And I think on some level, music is, you know, like I love the way it's hard sometimes. It's hard for me to explain to you or explain to the listener why I like something. But when I'm able to do it and it's able to connect or you're able to explain why you like something, you know, your point about about Dashboard, there's so many things that you've brought up or listener brought up that I wouldn't have liked, but them saying why they like it or you explaining the history of it or it sort of gives this context right. that allows you to appreciate it. It's very similar to the way when we we're talking to Steve Hyden about Pearl Jam, you know, what he's able to do through his writing with artists that I don't particularly love, you know, whether it's Dylan or Pearl Jam, I'm like, oh, that's pretty neat that they were that way, you know, and it makes me hear it in a different way. And I think what we're getting to is, you know, music is a human experience. That's some sort of cliche to say, but uh, I, I can draw a parallel with, you might hear a record and you might be ambivalent towards the record or a particular band. And then you see that band live and suddenly your perception of that band changes. I think we're doing some 
parallel version of that in yeah. that when we when someone you know explains to us what it is that they love about this what it meant to them what it's meant in their life or gives us a context or when we research the records and we find a context that becomes more meaningful in a broader way suddenly your your curiosity is increased and you're you're yeah. you're more willing to like receive the message that's in the music or you're more willing to receive the sound and I, 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 you can apply this to a lot of other um, content Art. forms or to, yeah. it, to a lot of other aspects of life that I think we do that in general. We, we shut ourselves off into what we feel comfortable with. And sometimes if you just give yourself a chance to get beyond that comfort zone, you'll actually discover something that is really meaningful that you probably would have continued dismissing if you, if you hadn't given it a chance. If you have a record you would like for us to check out, there's now a number of ways you can do it. You can leave, if you listen on Apple, leave it in the reviews. So leave us a, a rating, five stars, and leave and it in the Spotify review. We got Spotify going now, I see. Yeah, I'm going ah, to get through Very it, yeah. nice. Yeah, so if you, if you listen on Apple, leave it in the reviews, give us five stars, and uh, leave it in the reviews. If you listen on just a random pod app and you just want to send a note or something, if you just go to our website and go to contact, go to carlandrewrecordclub.com or... If you listen on Spotify, right underneath the pod, you'll see a, a question and answer section. The question says, what album should we, we review next? If you're on Spotify, just put it in there and we will get that. And uh, there we go. We have everywhere. Or if you're on social, uh, we are at CLRC pod on Twitter and there's a link there and you can do it on Twitter. There's just a million different ways. So just try one of those and give us an album and we will get to it. So speaking of listener requests, yeah. we had a listener request the last pod that we actually didn't get to. So we're going to get to it first yes. this time. So the listener album is Rihanna's Good Girl Gone Bad from 2007, suggested by the Lakeview Pod on Twitter. And then my album, I get to do an album again, which is awesome, two in a row. Mine is, I can't believe we haven't done it, is Dashboard Confessionals, The Places You Have Come to Fear the Most, which came out in 01. Let's do Rihanna first because we did it second last time and we actually never got to it. So right, let's do right. Rihanna first. Rihanna, good girl, gone bad. Now, Rihanna is an artist. I feel like if you paid any attention to pop music in the last yeah. two decades, you're aware of her. And I've always liked her. I mean, I, 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 many of her songs are familiar to me because I just feel like she's everywhere. Yeah. Uh, especially if she has a new release, uh, you're going to hear that song in so many different contexts. So, I've always liked what she does as a singer and, and a performer. You know, the live clips I've seen of her and her production. There's always something interesting about her production. And then when you see some of the people she's worked with, it makes sense. But she seems to be a great collaborator. But I'd never really done sort of a deep dive into one of her albums. So it was nice to actually do that, um, you know, after all this time being aware of her. Give a little background. She's from Barbados, a Barbadian singer and actress. She was born Robin Rihanna Fenty in St. Michael, Barbados in 1988. And she was raised in, in Bridgetown, Barbados. She was a very talented performer from a young age, regularly won talent and beauty contests, uh, but never really anticipated necessarily that she would have the kind of career she was going to have. It was just something she was doing and she was good at. When you read about how, how she was discovered, it feels like it's right out of a music biopic. I mean, the it, way it, it was all came together. It was Jay-Z, right? Wasn't it Well, Jay -Z actually, before Jay-Z was this okay. guy named Evan Rogers. Okay. Uh, who was a well-known writer, producer, very successful, worked with NSYNC, had 
worked with Christina Aguilera, Rod Stewart, just a prolific hit maker. Mm. And he was vacationing in Barbados. His wife is from Barbados. And he saw Rihanna perform in this vocal trio. And right away, he knew there was something special about her, that he wanted to work with her. He and his partner, uh, Carl Sturkin, started recording tracks with her and sort of developing her sound. And then in a short matter of time, uh, you know, Jay-Z caught wind of it, was interested immediately. That was perfect timing because that was right when Jay-Z had taken over Def Jam. Got it. So sometimes you look at the timing and the confluence of events and... Gotta get lucky every once in a while. Yeah. Don't mean that as like uh, not deserving, just mean there's only so much room for people to be massively successful and sometimes your 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 situation determines it as much as your talent does exactly to connect with these mega hit producers and then jay-z at a time when he was really at his peak of industry power and sure enough right out of the gate uh she had significant success her debut single ponder replay dropped in uh spring of 05 went all the way to number two on hot on the hot 100 I remember when I heard, first heard it, I was working at WYSP. Was that something you guys were, well, that wouldn't have been on YSP, No, right? no, no. So I was working at a rock station, but our, our record reps knew that I loved pop music. So when they would have something cool, they would play it for us. And ah. uh, Trina, I forget what her unmarried name was. She's Trina Schaefer now. But Trina worked for uh, Island Def Jam. And she came in and she was like, hey, we got this new, you know, this new record. Jay-Z signed it. She was like, you want to hear it? And I was like, yeah. Oh, wow. So you probably heard it before a lot of other people. Did. Yeah. And I remember hearing it and just being like, well, that's a fuck. Like after, sometimes you just know after 30 seconds, it's a smash. Like those are, yeah. when you work in radio, those are the most fun to hear because you're like, ooh, that's going to work, you right. know? And, and your you hear ear that, gets tuned towards that, right? You start it, to recognize that quicker. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Like not that there's a formula, but like there's something that triggered, like that's what you get paid to do, right? Like, so I remember hearing it and after 20 seconds i was like oh my god you know what a what a fucking massive first single that was and i feel like that's the case with a lot of her songs there's something immediate Mm -hmm. Uh, but sure enough that lead single was that and that was the lead up that was the lead single from her first album music of the sun now when you look at her catalog she was remarkably prolific Mm. in the first decade of yes. her career. Incredible. I mean... Almost underrated and underappreciated how mad... For somebody to be this popular, like, I don't even think people have the context of how enormous she was. Right. And the and the steady clip at which she was releasing <laughs> Hits. albums and singles and hit albums and singles. Yeah. Less than a year later, she follows with, uh, in spring of 06, A Girl Like Me. Had A year hadn't even passed. And I feel like that record really started to solidify her presence on the charts, like, that she was going to have staying power. But... It was this album that we're discussing, Good Girl Gone Bad, which came out the following year in 07, that I think really catapulted her into the stratosphere of like mm. global pop superstars. She had a number one single with Umbrella, massive hit. won her first Grammy for that one. And when you, you know, we'll go a little deeper in this record, but when you look at just the sheer volume of releases, okay, Rated R in 2009, Loud in 2010, Talk That Talk in 2011, and then Unapologetic in 2012 
which, uh, believe it or not, which is surprising, was her first Billboard uh, 200 album as far as uh, that was the first time she got to number one, which is surprising considering yeah. the sheer number of hits she had. Now, when you look at the, the, the sampling of some of the hits across these records, all songs you'll recognize, Rude Boy, Only Girl in the World, What's My Name, SNM, We Found Love, Where Have You Been, and my personal favorite, Diamonds, out of all those. Mm. So just a, a prolific hit maker. Our eighth album, Anti, came out in 2016. This was the f- uh, first record she made after leaving Def Jam. She started to exert more creative control and more control over the business side of things. Sure enough, it became her second U.S. number one album. She didn't miss a beat. Another chart-topping single in Work, which is another one of my favorites of hers. Now, the, the sheer magnitude of her success, you, you kind of hinted at this, is, is incredible. She sold t- over $250 million records worldwide and to put it into context dashboard confessional who we're also talking about who is massive in their in their world have sold just over 1.5 million which is a lot too especially now i mean rihanna sold 250 million over yeah plus i mean that's just insane (laughs) i I, wild i mean i imagine it's not she was at a time when i think the more traditional or she emerged at a time when the more traditional record industry was still for sure uh functioning in the way that it used to and for a lot sure. has changed but still the the sheer magnitude of you know basically over a quarter billion uh <laughs> in sales is amazing she's the second best-selling female music artist of all time which she's still quite young which is amazing to me yep. she's earned 14 number ones and 31 top 10 singles in the u.s and 30 top 10 singles in the UK, which, I mean, that puts her among, you know, the most prolific uh, chart toppers or chart artists of all time. She's got to be. Yeah. Um, also, I think it's been important to her to, you know, stay connected to her roots. And that's, you've seen that, we've seen her at award shows, and that's meant a lot to her to, to uh, you know, to sort of be a representative for, for Barbados. She was appointed as an ambassador of education, tourism, investment by the government of Barbados in 2018. And she was declared a national hero of Barbados on the first day of the country's parliamentary republic uh, in 2021, just last year. And I should mention, to top it all off, she will be headlining the halftime show for Super Bowl 57. Uh, no biggie. On, no biggie. No big deal. No yeah. Big deal. I think no that's going to be one of the better ones. Uh, you know, there's because there's a whole range of Super Bowl performances. Uh, to me, it's still Prince. Prince is like... I don't oh, think it's it by far the best one. No Prince one's is ever by far the top best that. one. Yeah. No I mean, it started raining when he was playing Purple Rain. Incredible. Like, come on. I yeah. mean, yeah, the gods of music were like, we need to make this happen. Yeah, yeah. come right on, man. Moment. Like, yeah, come on. That was incredible. But, but I'm sure she'll crush it. I'm uh, sure she'll crush great. it. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. So, getting into this record, I mean, what an enjoyable listen, start mm-hmm. to finish. It, it gets you right out of the gate. You get the big hit right out of the gate Umbrella. Serves as both a great opening track. And I think that song kind of sets the tune, uh, sets the tone for the whole record, and from there on, it just keeps you engaged. Undeniable hook, as is the case with many of her songs. But one thing that's maybe underrated about her is she has excellent bridges in her song. And mm. I was thinking about this with a lot of contemporary pop music I've heard. I sometimes because I feel like it's so track driven, mm-hmm. there's not as much of a compositional sense in the core songwriting. Huh. So you won't necessarily hear great bridges in 
a lot of big hits. But I feel like there's a focus on that in her songs. Like for this song, that bridge really sets the the, the payoff hooks up in the best way possible and really kind of lifts it up for a second. I also like the visual metaphor of umbrella, you know, sort of feeling of protection, commitment and uh, loyalty. And I love how Jay-Z starts it off. I mean, he's just like, he's just there for a brief bit, just kicking this thing off. But uh, I think he also plays into that visual metaphor. And it's kind of the perfect setup for the song. And then she comes in and carries it the rest of the way. It's funny. The the first time I ever heard Umbrella, it was an acoustic cover of it in 07. uh, I was when I was working in Chicago and I was like, what an amazing song. I didn't even realize it was a cover. I'd never heard the original and I heard the original, but it's just like, it whittles it down to like just the song, you know, like Umbrella is a perfect tune. It is a perfect tune. And what you just said, I think gets right to the heart of sort of is it a great composition? Because I, I think sometimes there are hits that are not great compositions. Right, yeah. There's maybe a great beat yep. and an undeniable hook. But if you break that thing down and you strip away the production, can you just play it on a piano and a guitar? And is it still going to be airtight? And I feel like when you listen to her songs, that is the case. Like there's a focus on, you know, writing good pop compositions, which is, it, it's strange to me. It's almost seems underrated like or undervalued. Yeah. Uh, in, in this current climate, because so, uh, especially in the TikTok sort of Instagram reels era, we've talked about this with Jason and AU, you know, songs are sort of half baked when they go out there. And sometimes when yeah. they get on the chart, they're still half baked. They're not yeah, fully, yeah, for sure. fully formed. So uh, but I just think the songwriting in her in her work is incredible. Don't stop the music. Now, that was one I knew from before. Yeah. If you wanted to go into a test lab and say, we're going to write a song that will be perfect for sync usages, not not just the club and the radio, but this thing can show up everywhere, uh, you know, big events, uh, films, television shows, commercials. It seems like constructed for that. And I love that they uh, pay homage to Michael Jackson's Want to Be Starting Something. It's a, it, it, That interpolation is really... Effective, and I like that it. It doesn't feel contrived that it's there. It feels like it feels like this is a song that's wearing its influence on its sleeve in the best way possible. And musically, it works. That that hook just works within that within that track. And that's another. I mean, it just hook. It just the whole song is one big hook, basically. It is earworm central. That, yeah, that yeah. tune. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's one of those songs that even if you don't think you've ever heard of it. You recognize it, yeah. uh, and it was at a time also, by the way, when that could still happen. I'm, I am still of the belief that today, even the biggest hit in the world does not find you like hits found you then. Yeah. But, but I also think it is your point about it being sync license perfect to where y- you didn't have to be listening to the radio to hear this song. Like this song was was everywhere, you know. And it transcends to this era because you can take that 15 seconds of that hook. Yeah, and that'll work in the in the TikTok world too. I mean, yep. it's so immediate. I like how the record kind of shifts gears a little bit about midway through. Uh, you you sort of it gets into a little bit. Of, it never loses the groove, but it gets into a little bit of a musical direction when with the song "Hate That I Love You." It's a great duet yeah. with uh, Rihanna and Neo. They complement each other perfectly vocally. Oh, 
Something we discussed before that I thought was interesting about the song. I was curious to see what you what you thought. Because this is a song that at its core it feels like a love ballad, but it grooves. Mm-hmm. And there's that strange thing of like, well, this feels like a ballad. Yep. But it doesn't exactly play like a ballad. Yeah. And I mean, there's certain technical things that you can point to to say, well, that that's why this is the way it is. But I, I kind of love that hybrid that this record is a dance pop record. So even when you get into the ballad it never loses the pulse. Yeah, that's a, a good point. And it exists in every genre, by the way. Like, like, is this a ballad or not? I think, I think can happen in every genre. I think it, there's, there's something about, well, does it, is the tempo correct? Is the sentiment correct? Is the, like all of those things where it feels like a ballad, but it isn't. I also think that this song, you know, one of the things about the album is it, it does for a pop record, I think, touch on a, a billion different genres, I think. But this one, I think is most similar to like sort of a 90s R- pop R&B hit. Absolutely. You Absolutely. know what I mean? Like it has that heart, that 1996 heart to it um, that that is, I think is pretty obvious and I, I, is familiar for me, so I enjoy it. Yeah, I love that sound. And that's, I think this was the moment in the album was like where I realized, oh man, this is a really good record because yeah. it's not, they're not just keeping it in the same place. They're, no. It's taking on a bit of a musical journey. For her part, for her as a vocalist, I just love how she never oversings. And I, especially when you think of that time in which she emerged, mm-hmm. there was the American idolization yep. of singing when it wasn't even about singing the melody. It was just about singing as many riffs as you possibly can. Yep. And you know me, my very first pick on this podcast was Donny Hathaway. Yep. And I'm from the Donny Hathaway school. Like You have the chops to do it, and you save those big vocal runs for the big moments when it's emotional. But just doing it for the sake of doing it, I love that she doesn't do that. She really just delivers the melody, but she does it with a lot of vitality and conviction, and she doesn't have to oversing. The best singers don't have to oversing. Yep. One other note I'll make is just the, some of the producers on this album. Uh, for example, on Don't Stop the Music and Hate That I Love You, you have the Norwegian uh, production duo Stargate. And at some point, we got to get into a conversation about Scandinavian <laughs> mega yeah. hit makers because there's a bunch of them. Yeah. I, it's like, and, and how? Like why? Yeah, you know what it is. I'm interested to know the story about that. (laughs) Like why certain nationalities are good at certain things, and there's obviously it it has to come from something that happened a long time ago that embedded itself in the culture that everyone there grows up with, and over time it evolves, and like those people are just good at that for one reason or another, like some one small thing. And I'd be curious to know what the small thing is that allowed them to become that, you know, over there. Could it be, I mean, this is a wild guess. I mean, I'm sure there's a deeper story there and I would love to, to understand more about it, but ABBA. Yeah, it could be. It could could have been. You're talking about that that one band or that one cultural touchstone. Mm -hmm. Uh, They are remarkably skilled, (laughs) you know, songwriter producers. So maybe some of these, these, uh, mega producer that you have from Norway and Sweden, they they were hearing that as kids. Their heroes were, imagine how much better you'd be at creating hits if your heroes were ABBA rather than Bruce Springsteen. (laughs) Man, you always, there's always another (laughs) another angle to bring the boss into it. (laughs) I almost look forward to it because I know maybe every other episode it's going to come to the, but that's a good point. I mean, if you... No, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying, I'm totally like a little bit trying to shit on it, but, but bit. totally if, if your culture, um, 
because because I, I would say that like 40 years ago or something, even though pop music was popular, obviously, from a, what's the word I'm looking, from a critical acclaim perspective, they didn't get critical acclaim. That, like, that's not what pop music was. And it's different today because somebody like Taylor Swift will get critical acclaim or Justin Timberlake will get critical acclaim or a lot of these pop artists, even Beyonce and Rihanna, like, they will get critical acclaim. But back then it wasn't about critical acclaim. Um, you know, like, like being popular was almost like the, the opposite of, of something that would gain critical acclaim. And then if, if you, if your culture idolizes something like ABBA, right. You, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it, it, it maybe can there's have not the same stigma effect. around it. So you embrace sure. it. Yep. You're yep, right. Yep. There was almost a, a negative perception of being super poppy. Absolutely. And uh, there's, it, it, it actually blows my mind sometimes to see someone like, like a place like Pitchfork review Taylor Swift. That would have never happened 25 years no, ago. No, are you kidding? Ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, like I'm, I'm always curious. I always, I've told uh, AU or AU and Jason that my, th like part of my theory is when there was something about the Justin Timberlake break from NSYNC mm -hmm. that, because I remember when they did Gone. And that that was a, an NSYNC song that got played on on urban radio on black radio, and was sort of like and there was some like there's something about that inflection point of a a pop artist being embraced by a non pop um, entity that, that like, I remember him being praised before any other pop artist being praised in, in the way that he is praised. And as far as that inflection point, I think you're right. It was early, mid two thousands. Yeah. And he was probably the catalyst because he made that leap in a way that I would have never imagined. Uh, yep. You know, one, a boy band member suddenly has this artistic credibility. I think a, a Timbaland was a big part of that. For sure, huge, yeah. Huge yep. part of that. But what they did together, I mean, Timbaland, and I'm going to get to it in a quick second, he's part of this record too. Yeah. Timbaland is just, to me, he stands alone, really, yep. in the world of production. He's singular. When you think of just, just take the Missy Elliott work, the work he did with her, that they did together. And then you think of his impact on Justin Timberlake's career. He might have, in a way, been a catalyst for what you're talking about. Yep. Someone who was in the big, you know, taking an artist who's big pop artist and helping them gain credibility. And then same here, like uh, the three tracks towards the end, tracks eight, nine, and 10, Sell Me Candy, Let Me Get That, and Rehab are all Timbaland produced tracks. Mm. And you hear it. You hear it, right? His sound is unmistakable. But it complements Rihanna perfectly. And actually, Justin Timberlake worked on that, co-wrote that, uh, that song Rehab and worked on the vocal arrangement. So they have a little bit of a hand in this record too. But yeah, when I think of Timbaland... Um, not only he 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 walked that line. It's pretty amazing to me. That's hard to do, and maybe almost impossible now. Where you push the envelope creatively, you take sounds that aren't in the mainstream, and you somehow make them, you know, pop ready, radio ready. He's one of those producers that you know had the ability to do that. I'm not sure that everything is so niche now. It's probably more difficult to do that now, in the current landscape. But he's. His impact on music, especially in the two thousands, is just extraordinary to me. Yeah, I mean, when he and Missy Elliott came along, it was one of the first times that something sounded different. 
you're like, what the fuck is that? Like, yeah. I remember that first, that first Timbaland and Magoo album, which I think is, on, is finally on uh, Spotify now. It wasn't forever. Welcome to our world is just such a fucking cool, weird record. And the, the first couple of Missy Elliott records are so cool and weird. You yeah, know what I mean? And in it, the best it, way, in the best yep, way. He certainly stands out. They both stand out in that very, very much so. Something just occurred to me. I don't think we ever talked about it in the pod, but Missy Elliott showed us some Oh, yeah, love, love on Twitter. Yeah, it started yeah, with Ice Cube. It. First it was Ice Cube and then, and and then Missy, Missy Elliott. Elliott. When we yeah, did the video, good. did we ever yeah. talk about that? On the, I was like geeked out about that for a couple no, of we got, we got we got thank you tweets from Ice Cube and Missy Elliott for including them in our video episode. I just remember when I sent you the screenshot of that, it was just like all caps, oh my God. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it was cool. I mean, it was it was surreal to see Missy Elliott's account and yeah. Ice Cube's account. And Ice Cube's thing was great. He's like, you know, proud to be on a list with Missy Elliott. Missy Elliott, yeah. Like, Holy shit, man. Yeah, we've arrived. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, but this record, uh, just a great listen, start to finish. It doesn't run too long. Uh, two records that, that run the perfect length on this episode. These two. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, both and shorter if, than this podcast will be. Short, Both shorter. Yeah. yeah this is like yep. a double album compared yep. to, yep. <laughs> compared to th- these records. I, I did think that the thing that stuck out to me revisiting it was, was definitely all the genre stuff I heard on it. Like Shut Up and Drive sounds like, like almost like a Duran Duran song. level with like sort of the driving guitars to it and the sort of 80s postmodern feel and then um a push up on what is it called push up hold on let me see the title i think i wrote it down wrong hold on one second did i write it wrong let me double check here yeah i'll push up on it Um, almost sounds like a, um, like eighties freestyle, like, uh, yeah. like a Samantha Fox song that you would hear, like a club, like a straight up eighties, like club dance tune. Um, and then the title track almost sound, like, sounds like a straight ahead, like vertical horizon or something like a straight ahead pop rock, um, you know, tune that, that if it was by a different artist could fit on a hot AC station or, a even an alternative music station or something like that, just sort of like that straight ahead, uh, verse, chorus, verse. I think it's amazing sort of how she bounces around like that and artists like this, who I, I, I guess I don't even think of like that, but, but those sort of tunes hit me in those different ways going back and listening to them. And maybe that speaks to her appeal, this ex- incredibly broad appeal she has. I mean, to sell that sheer number of records that she sold, yeah. even on this album, you get it. Like you, like you said, there, there are moments that I would have never guessed you know, in the first few tracks that it was going to go in this, in that kind of, you almost said like vertical horizon yeah, kind of musical direction. So 
she's versatile too, and mm-hmm. you don't always get that with uh, something that might be just straight down the lane of dance pop. Yeah, for sure. What a, a cool album and an amazing artist. And she has a new record coming out, right? Soon, I believe I so. It's, this, this is probably the longest break she's had because I think the last record was 2016. Yeah, uh, let's so see. So there'll be a lot of anticipation for that. When is it coming out? October, da 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 da. Well, she had the, the single from the Black Panther movie, which right. came out. Um, now I'm looking. I don't fucking know. If she's doing the Super Bowl halftime show, she'll have a new record out by that point. That seems or, like the yeah. perfect way to yeah, launch yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, thanks for the suggestion. Um, it's taken us a while to get to Rihanna, but uh, but appreciate it. Only, that, you know, you got to sell 250 million records to get onto the Carl. <laughs> That's our threshold right there. So mine is Dashboard Confessionals, the places you have come to fear the most. Don't you see? Don't you see? The is over. And all the best deceptions and the clever cover story awards go to you. I, I texted Mutlu and and um, and Molly the other day that I was revisiting it on a drive home from work, sitting in the Holland Tunnel, and I was just belting out every word from every song which is sort of how this this album sits in my in my uh in my music history and my life and i hate it. your your initial reaction to it without the context of this podcast was probably my initial reaction to it when i first heard it on mtv i was like fuck this so dashboard confessional i would say probably one of the on the mount rushmore of the third wave of emo. Um, there's, there's probably four or five waves of emo. The first one is the, like the initial, the initial very heavy punk influenced. Then there is the, we did sunny day real estate. I would say sunny day real estate is sort of like the captain of the second wave of emo. And the third wave of emo is where pop punk comes in and fallout boy and all those things, which weren't, weren't, aren't really like a natural, they're a, they're a like two steps removed progression from the original part of emo. But, and it is, it's interesting because this album and like, doesn't even really, you can feel it on it, but there's no band on this really. I mean, there's a little bit, but it's mostly an acoustic record, which you don't hear a lot and you didn't hear a lot in emo, especially from a, 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 a what's it called? A genre that came from punk music basically. So I remember discovering this album when the Screaming Infidelities video was on MTV constantly. That's It's a good, the, the, the amazing tune. And I remember turning it off a billion times on MTV saying, <laughs> fuck this guy. What the fuck is this? Until it was on once and I was like, oh no, I love this. And what then, what like, do you think you were, you were reacting to initially? That It's maybe- just so like fucking pathetic you know like like <laughs> but, but is that the thing of emo though it's kind of like you wear yes. your heart on your sleeve kind of thing. but but i wasn't into that music at that time really i would say maybe some second wave stuff but never this but but when it when you allow it when you allow yourself to like stop fighting it and uh like 
walk into it and listen to what he's saying, it's very hard to not empathize with the lyrics, right? Like he writes in a way, and we'll get to it because I think it's probably my favorite part about it. He writes in a way that is just incredibly uh, familiar to how any young person would feel about relationships as they go through them. I mean, it is, I, I would say almost unmatched in the way that it does this. So Dashboard is, is basically Chris Caraba. It started as only Chris Caraba. He was in a band called Further Seems Forever. And as a side project, Caraba did the first Dashboard record, which is called Swiss Army Romance, which was only him. Um, and that, that like grew from there. And he ended up being able to do, get on some tours as Dashboard. And again, like not similar to the other bands he was playing is that this was basically like a solo acoustic act. And, but he was able to go in there and sort of like play and, uh, and start to win people over. And, and the Swiss Army Romance actually began to get traction. And it was on this tiny indie label, uh, Fiddler. And they actually couldn't make enough copies of the album. So they went to Drive Through Records, which is a bigger indie label, and Drive Through took over the production of it. And it was at that point that Caraba left for Other Seems Forever and decided to do this on his own and put together. There's, there's one guy named Scott Schoenbeck who's been in the band, uh, joined the band after Places You Have Come to Fear the Most came out, um, I think in 02 or 03, but it has been in the band since then. But when you look at the band members, it it turns over a, a lot. Um, it's a one-man project. Yeah, yeah. It, it turns over a lot. Um, so, so in February of 01, he took a few weeks off from touring on Swiss Army Romance to record the places you have come to fear the most. And he had a band for it. Uh, Mike Marsh was his touring band. And then Mike Stroud was on guitar. And a, a guy named Dan Bonebreak, who uh, played with Caraba in a different band, was, was on the record as well. But almost immediately, those, those fellas left. Actually, Dan Horner from Sunny Day Real Estate was in the band briefly. Um, but they recorded this in February and released it in March on Vagrant Records, another indie. And almost... But a bigger um, one, right? That's a pretty well-known... Yeah, Vagrant's a big label, yeah. And they made a video for Screaming Infidelities. And uh, it got on MTV and MTV2. And MTV eventually invited him to do an Unplugged, which put out another version of the video for them to, to play. Now, still, with all of this MTV stuff that we remember and all this... Like, this album is gold and barely has sold half a million copies. So it never... The com it, it never was an enormous commercial success, I would say, but it, it made it very big in the genre it was. I thought it was interesting, too, that this album was written and recorded in basically a few weeks and, and released the next month. I found a, a really long interview he did looking back on his career, and um, he had a, an interesting few sentences on writing records. Um, he said, I wrote most of Swiss Army Rom Romance on my lunch breaks, so I had only one hour. The immediacy is apparent. It's not labored over in a bad way where you smooth over all the edges and make something really pretty but not beautiful. Sometimes the jagged edges are what make it beautiful and then you smooth them. It's just pretty, so what? The other thing was I recorded the songs that same day. 
As soon as the song was written, I'd record it. I figured it's not going to be the best vocal performance of that song I'll ever do. I'll get better at singing the song, but I'm not sure I'll ever be as connected to the song as I am five minutes after I wrote it. And I'm singing it with every bit of feeling that I have just poured into these words. The rawness delivers. I could have had a better note here or there. My voice wouldn't have cracked here or there, but that would have been worse instead of better. And I think this album it feels the same way to me. Like, like the, you, it feels honest. And there's a, I brought up the book a, a million times on this podcast when we talk about emo, but there's a book called Nothing Feels Good that Andy Greenwald wrote. And it open, it's about emo and it opens up, I think it opens up or the chapter about Dashboard opens up because he, he tours with Chris Caraba for a while, meeting a bunch of bros before they go to a dashboard show, um, getting ready for it and then going to the show with them and sort of being stunned at, at the percentage of the audience in the crowd that are males because hmm. like, I wouldn't have guessed that with this record at all. Well, what's interesting is like, you don't guess it because of like the sonic texture of it and blah, blah, blah. But it is written from guy's perspective on relationships like right. this is what it is and i think it is is what what connects me to it is first of all i i do like it sonically a lot but there's something about the words and you can see it when you when you see them i ended up seeing them on this tour um and look they have seven albums and the next album a mark a mission a brand a scar which led with a song called Hands Down that was on Swiss Army Romance, but ended up being a really big hit. Their next album debuted at number two on Billboard. This album wasn't as big as that album was, but I saw them on that tour and like <laughs> the amount of singing that the audience does is stunning. Like you can't hear him. Like there are times, and I know not everybody loves this at, at shows, but there are times where he just steps away from the mic and plays a guitar and the entire crowd, everyone in the crowd sings every word of every song. You know what? I find it, I mean, I'm not aware of the people that don't like it. Maybe there are. To, for me as a performer, I've had that experience from time to time or a bunch of times, you know, and there's nothing better. Oh my God. Uh, you know, yeah, if, and it's it's a, so if it's a fun. cover, yeah, it's fun. If it's a cover, then that's... A little easier because it's something yep. people recognize. Like uh, on the last uh, run with Amos, I was covering uh, the Kenny Rogers song, uh, Dolly Parton song that was written by the Bee Gees. I oh, Islands in the Stream. Yeah. And it was like taking candy from a baby. Yeah. Uh, yep. All I had to do was just encourage, a little encouragement yep. uh, for people to sing and the whole theater yep. would be singing that song on top of their lungs. And on, on occasion, it's happened with some of my own material and- there's really nothing better because I, I think at a show, there's nothing more connecting than that. Then it's it, then it's truly participatory, you know. And uh, yep. the fact that he has that going for like probably every song or most of the show that that's incredible to me. The the entire show, I like it, like every word of every song, and I like I thought it was like amazing. If I think if you like it, it was fun. I actually, <clears throat> I think I told the story very briefly on the Ricky yesterday when we had war on drugs on we're we're talking about something not connected to like this, they're, they're making regular appearances uh, <laughs> I, it's it's honestly stunning to me i like i can't quite figure it out we do have eliza hardy jones is now in the war on drugs and uh, she's officially in the band and she she is a tie to the ricky from years ago like she's right, a long time right. ricky listener wasn't she the one that kind of put us together with daniel hart yep 
She was, she is, she is the Kevin Bacon of music in that she is connected (laughs) to so many different people. She's also like, and her husband, um, was in, um, oh shit. Why can't I remember what band he was in? Uh, legendary, uh, Philly band, a great Philly indie band. Hold on. Why can't I remember their name? Not Murrah. No, no, Dr. Dog. Oh, Dr. Uh, Dog. Yeah. 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 Ben was in Dr. Ben was in Dr. Dog. Oh, I didn't realize she, uh, there was that connection there too. Andrew, I'm sorry. Ben owns Kinetic. Okay, so Andrew is her husband, who is in Doctor Dog. His brother Ben owns Kinetic Skateboarding, who's a, a sponsor oh, of the Reiki. Wow. There's a lot um, of interconnections going. Yeah, on Yeah, and we've been using her song, one of her songs, for our relationship advice segment for like six years. Um, but anyway, we were talking about something on the pod, and they're doing these benefit shows in Philly, which are really which is cool. awesome because it's for the school district, right? Yeah, it's for the Philly school yeah, district. Awesome. Um, but we were we were talking about. Uh, I was, I'd been dating my wife for maybe a month, month and a half. And I took her to see Dashboard Confessional at the truck. They were doing a tour where they would play, I think they would play an entire album and then they would release the live version of it online almost immediately after the, um, the performance or whatever. And, and the, the reason I told this story was I introduced her as my girlfriend without having the conversation about her being my girlfriend. And she like disappeared for 40 minutes after I did it. I didn't realize what the problem oh, was. No. And oh, she no. came back and I was like, hey, where were you? And she was like, you call me your, your girlfriend. And I was like, aren't you? And she's like, we never talked about that. And I was like, well, are you my girlfriend? She goes, I guess, yes. And I'm you, like- You kind of, you, you took her off guard because you, yes. you weren't there yet. You hadn't reached that, that point yet. Yes, but what I what I the the point that I'm bringing up now for is she didn't really enjoy the show because she didn't know the songs, and like I, I think there is something about the sing along thing that if you want to be part of the sing along is awesome, if you don't like maybe it doesn't connect in the same way. Well, wait a minute, know. we're talking about sing- we just did a whole sing along too two weeks ago. Yes, I'm just, yeah, I, 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 Girls. somehow that like slipped my mind for yes. a second. Yeah, uh, but again, that's easy. I mean, it's not easy. It's always fun, whether it's a original yeah, it's a little cover. bit of cheating, but everyone it's had a little a good bit time. of cheating. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, that was a. I, I got to say, and you know, I'll, I'll mention again here. Thank you to everybody who came out because that came to was, the live pod. Yes, absolutely. That was so much fun, and I think we both felt this way. Like I'm excited to do it again. I yeah, mean, absolutely. and I think as when we do as we go and we do it more in time, we'll find ways to fine tune and vary it up. Uh, you know, the format, but. Uh, but it was just it was just awesome, and I've always wanted to do a sitcom like set, which which is what that was. Because there's been times in the past where I've been on the road and played a show and said, and I've done one or two of those songs and been like, you know what? At some point, I'm going to do a whole tour of this. I'm going to do a whole show of this, and we basically uh, did, we did it. it. So, yep. And yep. man, it was like everything it was cracked up to be. Oh my god, people fucking loved it. Like they loved it. They were <laughs> shouting the them from is, the yeah. The scary thing is we could have done more. Oh, we could have done it for an hour. Nobody would have cared. <laughs> we Ever? did probably, how many did you queue up? Do you remember? 15, something like that. We could have done 30. No yeah, problem. yeah. No problem. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, um, this album has like, has been with me since I liked it. And I've gone through phases where I listen to it every day and I, I never get tired of it. Um, I remember singing it to my cat um, when I lived in Chicago, I remember. <laughs> wait, wait, uh, wait, wait! Is it singing yep. it to your cat? Yeah, I remember. Like you like, strumming a guitar, singing to the cat? No, just like listening to the record, holding the cat, singing it to the cat. <laughs> yep. I, was I convinced it's very sweet it. and very sad. I'm not sure. Uh, it's which both. Per, like which the percentage album. is sweet? Which percentage is sad? I don't I, know. Fifty-fifty. 
I, uh, 50, 50 is fair. I think it's generous actually. <laughs> I, I actually went through, we don't have to do this cause I realize how much time it will take. And I, I actually want to get your opinion on it before we do, but I went through and I found like a lyric from every song oh, that yeah. I thought was either, there's some that are more poetic than others and some that are straight ahead, but man, does he paint a picture, a picture yes. like, like, um, th- there's, there's one in Saints and Sailors. Like, I just, I, I, I think I could just go through and find a point in my life where this feels exactly where every, there's a point in every song where it feels like, ooh, I felt that way. There's a line in Saints and Sailors when he says, this apartment is starving for an argument, anything at all to break the silence. And I'm like, oh. There's real poetry in in this. You're right. Uh, especially, yeah. I think it's a record, like, I'll, I rarely do this, but if, like, if this is new to you as it was to me, like, have a companion uh, lyric to some of these songs with you, like uh, yes. or, or look at look at it afterwards, because when you look at these words on the page, there is an intrinsic poetry to it. It's mm-hmm. not it's not just a teenage angst, emotional roller coaster. I, I think there's a little something more to the writing. Would you say that's fair? I mean, that's it is. It, it's sort of like sea changes. Like I just think it's like one of the greatest breakup albums right. of all time. And you, you know, know that right out of the gate. I mean, it mm-hmm. it doesn't. It leaves nothing veiled. You, yep. you know, this is a breakup album right away. Yeah, like it, so the first song is a brilliant dance and. Here's another like line. I was like, yep, I did that once. Um, the plaster dented from your fist in the hall where you had your first kiss reminds you that the memories will fade. It's like, oh, man. <laughs> you put yourself in that scene. That's what I found with a few of these songs is you can immediately put yourself into that scene. Yep. Uh, which is a real skill as for a songwriter to write something mm-hmm. uh, that that the listener can just say, it's not not even that you had a similar experience, but that you could almost picture yourself in that exact moment. 100%. Like, and that is, it's probably the thing about Screaming Infidelities that got me in. It was like, you know, when this came out in 01, that's 20 years ago, um, in my mid-20s, you know, like, I, you know, like it's the time when you start trying to have serious relationships, but they maybe don't work and like right. getting over them is harder. You know, it's just as hard, I think at that age that it is at, at like, you know, 17 or something. I think like, that's just a point of your life where it is, um, really hard and screaming infidelities is like, is just like, it's so good at, at vocalizing those things. There's a song, uh, since we're going through kind of some of these standard lines. No. Oh. But your taste still lingers on my lips like it just lays double fires and I starve. I starve for you. But this new diet's liquid and dulling to the That tune, every once in a while we discuss an album and that has, contains a song that has an idea lyrically that is very relatable, but that I've never heard it 
framed in, in this exact way. That's what that song does because it's a very clever bit of writing because it basically goes through all the lies that people tell themselves and each other. Yeah. When they're After in a breakup. The, yeah. yeah. To try to make themselves feel better. Yeah. Uh, like just the first few lines gets sets that tone and then it's like, just lyrically, it really pulls you in. Which of the bold-faced lies will, will we use? I hope that you're happy. You really deserve it. This will be the best. This will be the best for both of us in the end. I mean, he he just gives you cliches that everyone yeah. kind of will say to themselves. Again, making it immediately identifiable because in those moments, you're so tormented by what's happening. Like you kind of need to like almost psych yourself out. Um, yeah. There's a, another one later. Which of the standard lines will we use? I've been meaning to call you. I've just been so busy. We'll catch up <laughs> soon. Let's make it a point to. And I think is standard lines the one where he does that because the guitar playing this does not stand out, but like there is, I think in this song is the one where he does these bends in between. The verse line would go, wow, so. wow, wow. Like, yeah. like it feels like so, is like a very intentional. And I think um, he, he sings with the guitar a little bit there. And I think like, um, I think, the whole album from a, a guitar standpoint feels like a very big Taylor guitar, but like that, you know, big, bright, you know, but like, but that, I, I feel like he, he did something really cool on that song. It almost mirrors the sentiment of the song yeah. in a way. Yeah. yeah. I think that is the one I seem to recall those yeah. kind of string bends basically. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, I'm trying to like, I just, I, there's so many, there, there's a song Wait, hold on. Because uh, again, I go and notice it's pretty straightforward, but the bitter pill and the places you've come to feel the most, I think are a little more poetic in terms of their writing than the other songs are. This is one time, well, this is one time that you can't fake it hard enough to please everyone or anyone at all or anyone at all. In the grave that you refuse to leave the refuge that uh, the places you've come to fear the most buried deep as you can dig inside yourself and covered with a perfect shell such a charming beautiful exterior laced with brilliant smiles and shining eyes and perfect makeup but you're barely scraping by man i'd be oh, curious man. maybe you know because i don't know how much like he's revealed sort of the 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 backdrop of how he creates these songs but I almost wonder if this is a thing where he writes these lyrics first. So he said, actually, uh, sometimes he did that and it didn't work. And sometimes he did the music first and it didn't work. Like, I, I do wonder, like, I would almost like to see video of him working it out. Right. You know, like, um, it, because it, it doesn't seem like, because it's such a solo process, I guess, for him, I, I, I don't know. It, it doesn't seem like it's either of those ways, you know? Yeah, because a, for a lot of writers, and there are exceptions, obviously, to everything, but it'll start with a melody or a hook idea, mm -hmm. and the lyrics might stem out of that. But this record doesn't feel like one of those records to me. And here's the thing. The production is so sparse and simple yep. around it that it's all about the songs, and it's yep. all about the lyrics. And really, above everything else, it's about the lyrics. Uh, that that's the thing that pulled me in. It also is this. Maybe this is a strange thread, but I, I hear some connection with what he does, especially lyrically with Andrew McMahon 
it it oh, got, yeah. it got me thinking about that record that we did early on. I guess it was a Jack's Mannequin, right? Mm-hmm. Jack's Mannequin. Um, why can't I remember the? It's one of my favorite albums of well, all. That was time. like an early episode, and I, I for some reason I can't remember the. Uh, wait, hold on. This is like embarrassing. Um, uh, everything in transit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's at, there's something in their songwriting that I there's a similarity. They're they're, they're quite different. I think like vocally and. Definitely musically. Yeah. But Andrew McMahon within this genre also has that ability to to well, give you visual lyrics that put you in a in a very specific place. Yeah, that that album in particular from Jack's Mannequin. And by the way, like they evolved around the same time. Like so Andrew was in a band called Something Corporate, which started in late nineties, start early two thousands. So they're both um and then that Jack's Madigan record is 06. Um, so they're really third wave emo artists, you know, Which very is similar. more the sort of pop punk mm-hmm. era, you would say. Yep. But I, I don't consider this to be that sound necessarily. I mean, maybe just because it's acoustic, I don't know. No, I, I think like the... I think the songwriting, I think you could, you could say... I, I, I actually believe in a lot of ways that like modern pop songwriting has a lot of ties to third wave, early third wave emo. I, I think like you could look at current pop songwriting from straight ahead pop artists and look to this and say, oh, this is probably this and maybe some early, uh, early, you know, early third wave emo and say that it was incredibly influential. And I imagine people like Taylor Swift grew up, you know, Hearing with this, this, this record. Yeah. Yeah. This, this sort of record I would, I would have to imagine. So there's something I wanted to ponder with you because mm-hmm. on the surface, this has all the ingredients of a straight ahead singer songwriter record. Like if you think of like your quintessential folk yep. singer songwriter album. By the way, Jeffrey Gaines, we drove to a, we were, we were just talking about Jeffrey Gaines. Yeah. Maybe we were talking about off pod and we were like, oh, does he still play anymore or whatever? And we were driving to a wedding and for some reason, Google Maps took us through just like straight from 202 from North Jersey all the way down to Horsham. And we drove through New Hope. And Jeffrey Gaines is playing some place in New Hope. Oh, really? Uh, a couple of weeks from now or something. So he's still still on the circuit, man. He's still, still kicking. In, yeah. I opened for him like years ago at Steel City. And then I've done, I did this show with him. It was really interesting. It was at Joe's Pub in New York. It's this concept album called Largo. Uh, mm-hmm. which is worth checking out. And for anyone who's listening, it's worth checking out. It's a concept album. It's kind of uh, built around that. The core musical thread is around the Vorjak's, uh piece, that particular piece. But it's really like a Roots Americana album. And uh, it's, uh, you know, Rob Hyman from the Hooters and Rick Cherdoff oh, cool. who produced the Hooters. And uh, Levon Helm is on it, Taj Mahal. There's all these great artists. Um, but we did like a live performance of that record at Joe's Pup. And he and, mm. he and I were one of the featured singers. Joe's and, Pub is so cool. I saw Butch Walker there once. It's such a yeah, cool venue. Yeah. What a great, what a great place. I've I've never done my own show there, but I did that show there. And then I sang with this guy, Victor Krauss, Allison Krauss's brother, hmm. uh, who's like an amazing musician. He had made a record and he like wanted a few featured vocals. But yeah, what is it about that place? That's some there's some magic. It is so there. good, man. That place is so good. Yeah. I saw Butch did like three shows and three nights there. I think I went to two of them. And it was just a, it's a great venue. This is like an A plus venue. It is, it is absolutely, yeah. yeah. So, oh what no, wait, I'm sorry. Oh. I should say, I should correct myself. Oh. The uh, Joe's. Wait, is Joe's Pub inside the Public Theater? I sang with Victor Krause at yes. Joe's Pub. Yeah. Uh, is is it inside the Public Theater? 
Yeah, it's like okay. a smaller room inside the. Okay, like, so like the, the, the Largo inside. thing. I don't want to say something wrong when I was actually oh. there performing. But no, 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 no. no so Joe's right. Bob is in the public theater, right? Correct. Correct. Okay, because they were workshopping yeah. this into a show there. Uh, That's okay. why we did the show. Uh, okay, uh, man, we're um, slipping in our old age. You're forgetting yeah. stuff. I'm forgetting dude. places I played. Dude, that, all that is, is, is that's what old age is, man. You just got to embrace it. You have to understand it's who you are now. So, But Jeffrey is still out there. It's cool that you saw him, that he's yeah. playing new. He's a powerhouse, man. Oh, he, yeah. He, vocally, he's just a great singer. Yep. Um, okay, so you were saying, this has all of the... Yes, I wanted to ponder okay. this with you. So okay. on the surface, mm -hmm. you know, uh, confessional, well-crafted songs, mm -hmm. lyrics are very much the focal point. Mm-hmm. There's a vulnerability in the performance and very simple production. Mm -hmm. So like that to me on the surface in theory sounds like a very straight ahead folk singer songwriter album, but this feels very far removed from that. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to understand why that is because the core ingredients are that. Mm -hmm. Is it just his his delivery that, or is it, there's still a little bit of that punk rock underpinning to it that what makes it so separate from a folk singer songwriter album? It's a good question. I would give you two guesses as to why it is. One, where he came from exposed a certain group of people to this music first. And so it stayed there and it right. became a part of that, right? Like, so he came from punk music and, you know, emo, whatever. That's the first thing. It's just like where it came from. So it, it doesn't cross over. But the second thing is, I just think the lyrics are written for somebody who is younger than somebody who would normally hmm. consume singer songwritery stuff. You know, like somebody who might be at your show or right. an Amos show or something like that, or even a Jeffrey Gaines show or, or all those things. Like, I just think that they're, they're singing like to, a, to maybe a 35 year old. If you listen to this record and you didn't listen to it when you were in your twenties, right. it sounds, immature to you. Like it's singing about things that maybe you would remember, but like, it's not an album that is about being, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, <laughs> about, uh, when you look back on the past and are, you know, smile about it. Um, like nostalgic, it's, it's not really, yeah, it's not it, like maybe you could do it as nostalgia, but as, if it wasn't part of your life, there's no nostalgia to it. Like it, I, I mm -hmm. just think it comes across as, as young, and immature. And I think if you're, if you're looking for that, like most of the artists in, in the, the genre you're talking about are just not singing about things about that time, unless they're looking back on them. But this was written, this was written as it was happening. You know, it feels right. like this is not looking back on your youth. This is, this is happening to me right now. And it's how, how I feel. It's written with a, so the actual, who it's intended for. Mm-hmm. It's quite think, different than maybe. And I think if he, I think if he sung it a little differently, like if I would love to hear you take one of these songs and sing it the way that you would sing it, like yeah. almost not totally deconstruct it. And by the way, there's not a lot to deconstruct in there. Like no, it's, it's all just, acoustic to begin with, right? Yeah, it's like three chords or whatever. But, but like, but I, I would, I think if you sung the words differently, um, especially a song like Standard Lines. I feel like you could take that one and maybe make it not quite as, um, you know, teeny bopper or whatever. I think that is a large part of it. Right. That was my thought. The, the first thing you mentioned, I didn't think about, that makes a lot of sense as far as 
who is this really intended for? Who is right. it speaking to? Yep. I thought it was the one thing I could think of was the vocal delivery. Yes, for sure. Yeah. And that's not a vocal delivery that you hear no. in the sort of quote unquote straight ahead singer songwriter world that, that operates in like listening rooms and then gets into like theaters when it gets bigger. You know, that it's a very particular is, thing. You know, That's connected, by the way, to the first thing. Like, right, like right, the, you know, right. the, the vocal delivery is connected to the first thing. So, so you enjoyed this? Yes. Yeah. Like I, yeah. It's, I, I'll tell you, with my favorite emo records that we've discussed, it's always the thing that puts me over the top is the lyrics. Yeah. And because once I key in on those, then I'm, then I'm all in. And the lyrics on this are just, uh, again, they, they have like a teenage appeal, I guess, but to me, they're, there's some, there's a poetry in it that goes beyond that, ironically. Yeah. Even if it's intended for that audience, that there's something within the words, the way they're constructed, that actually transcends that, uh, it, ironically enough. It almost feels like somebody opening up their journal and sharing it with you and like you being like, oh, I'm not the only one who feels that way. And it feels like in, incredibly personal, but universal. Uh, the last lyric I want to say, and, yeah. <laughs> and your point is great. Listen to the album, but read the words as you listen to the album, even though he's, he enunciates it in a, a pretty clear way. You don't you can miss understand. a line. I love yeah. that too. I love yeah. that too. Like I love the brand new record, but it's hard to always get what he's saying. Yeah, uh, with this record, you, you he every line is there. You don't miss a word. Again, I go unnoticed, like and and when I when I bring up these lyrics, it's because I remember them. Like right. not the lyric, I remember it you my life. This. You live this. You live this, right? Please tell me you're just feeling tired, because if it's more than that, I feel like I might break out of touch, out of time. Please tell me anything but signals that are mixed, because I can't read your rolling eyes. Out of touch? Are we out of time? <sighs> And just like great words, man. The what's wrong? Nothing. Well, like please, just like be that you're tired and not that you don't want to be here. And like that that feeling as things fall apart, like that you you know it and you see it, but like you can't you can't hold on to it. Um, yeah, that's heavy. Know? And everyone yeah. can relate to that in some shape or form. Yeah, it makes sense to me that his shows are just big sing-alongs because. Yeah, they're they're well written melodies, and the melodies, the songs are well written. They're good melodies, but it's like the lyrics are probably what people live with, and it just becomes it connects to them in this deep way that they they themselves want to like sing it in the room, you know? Yeah, and they're not like straight ahead written pop songs. Like they're not they're not not poppy, but it, they're not like verse chorus versey where you're like even screaming infidelity is like basically ends with the most memorable part of the song. Like your hair is everywhere, screaming infidelities. Like that's at the end of the song. It, right. It's not, you know what I mean? It's not, it's not the chorus. It's not the big I, payoff hook. Uh, no. And no. one of the things I'll mention, getting all full circle, is brilliant dance. I love the way it starts. It gets right into, I mean, I love a good intro. Yeah. It can be even a long intro. I love that this record, it put, it gets right into it. Yeah. Uh, it's almost as if he picked up mid-conversation or something. Yeah, yeah. And you're just right into it right away. There's, <laughs> you know, it's like he was thinking through something and he hit play, and it's like he's already in the middle of it when you when the record starts. Bro, I was belting this album out, <laughs> belting it out, <laughs> sitting stopped on uh, first was this on the with Val in the car, or so, this is you solo. No, this is I. I can only belt it 
by myself. Now we did listen to it on the way home from the wedding too. And I actually felt guilty singing some of the songs because like, I'm sure some of the lyrics were like about a time where we fought or something in my right. head. That's what I was it's thinking It's almost of. too revelatory in a yeah, way. Yeah, <laughs> too clear, too clear. Yeah, too clear. So so we, we hit the, the emo, uh, we hit the, I feel like we need to get an emo artist on. That would be so- Who could we be, get on? That, that would be interesting. We haven't had anyone in that genre. You know, we talked about getting- Dan Campbell on. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. What and, happened with that? Because he expressed yeah, interest in coming on again, didn't he? Yeah, he did. And then, like, I lost the thread. I like, I, I have so many email accounts um, and trying to do so many things. I think right, it's probably right. on me. But it would be fun to have him on talk about and it. And is I their think. record out now, or is it? Um, let's see. I know he was doing solo shows. Well, we did the Aaron West uh, yep. project, which that was a very specific project, right? That's not even necessarily his general solo thing. Right. The, the, he's in the Wonder Years. Um, which is a big time Philly band. Yeah. And and it lives in influence of, I would say, third wave of emo. So this uh, general time, this general sound. Yeah, let's see. Well, they have a bunch of tour dates in uh, in twenty three. So I didn't know if they had put a new record out. Um, Maybe that's something we can look to early next year with him. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. As we close in on one hundred episodes. Wow. Do we know what this one is? Well, I guess we don't know for sure because sometimes things get edited out. No. So this will be ninety nine. This will be ninety nine. Wow. Yeah. This is ninety nine. I have an idea for 100 that we, we I should talk about, that we'll talk about right after this, right cool. after the pod is over. So um, we will talk to you next time with episode 100. Stay That's free, it. my goose. <laughs>